Alongside me, as always, Bills super fan Carson Breber. If you want to follow along his live reactions to tonight, go ahead and throw him a follow at Carsobi. It should be a fun one, and we're hoping we're hoping Carson for some good vibes, right? We're hoping for some broken tables. We are absolutely hoping that I jump through a kitchen table after this game tonight. Now. I have to ask, because I personally have never prepared to jump through a table before. I've had it on the line of anything. Do you buy the table beforehand, or is that considered jinxing it? You do. So, I have actually never jumped through a table, but I believe that the protocol is typically you you come prepared, and then if the worst happens, unfortunately, that table goes unbroken for that day. But if you experience sweet, sweet victory, then you shatter that bad boy. You put it. You put the table off to the side, and you say, "Next year, table. I'll get you next year." But let's hope for some broken tables tonight again. Go ahead and follow him at Carsobi. You can follow me at Eric Ruby underscore. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have made it a month into the NBA season. It feels like for some reason it's been like three months worth of basketball, worth of content, kind of packed into this really condensed month but we've made it and we figured since we hit this milestone in a milestone season let's go back and revisit our award predictions and adjust them and give our awards a month into the season just to reiterate this is not who we are predicting to win the award by the end of the season this is as of now a month into the 2020-2021 season who we believe these awards belong to now before we jump into each one we have of course your original mvp deep boy coach of the year all of that fun stuff we also have some fun ones carson were there any that were hard for you to think of anything that you you really struggled over or were they all about the same i wouldn't say that any were extremely difficult for me i think that actually actually okay i will say that most improved player was probably the one that i had the most conflict over but i still feel pretty good about where i came out on that so that was probably the toughest one well, let's start with most improved players, shall we? Because that's one that I find really interesting this year, and it's probably the one that I think has the most candidates overall because we've seen a big jump in play. Now, remind the people, Carson, who was your prediction for most improved player this season? So I picked Gary Trent Jr., which was painful basically immediately because I really considered Christian Wood, who's obviously a great candidate. I really considered Darius Garland, who I think – if he were still playing because he hasn't played in quite some time, he would be a great candidate because he looked fantastic. But I ended up picking Gary Trent Jr. And how do you feel about that right now? Not great? Not great. I actually think that he should 100% be in, in a bigger role in Portland. And I think that he is improved. I mean, his creation off the dribble is better. He's a 42% shooter from deep and always a plus defender. And I think his spacing would be much more vital to what they're trying to do than the defense of Derek Jones Jr. when Trent is also a plus defender. But... Do I feel good about him as most improved? No. And honestly, I didn't ever expect a massive season. I thought he was going to average like 15 a game on a really good team efficiently and play plus defense, and that would be enough. And now as I have seen some great candidates emerge, I realize that that would not be close to enough, even if he did get up there. Well, my pick, it was somebody who, if you asked me two weeks ago, I would say I had no faith in, I can't believe I picked them. What the heck? In fact, we did good and bad things from the NBA season, and this player was in the bad things. I picked DeAndre Ayton. Now, the way he's been playing the last couple of games, he might be able to change that around, and he might be able to put himself in that conversation, but as of right now, he hasn't had enough consistent play for a long period of time for him to be in my running for most improved player this year, but my most improved player, Carson, right now, through a month into the season, is Jalen Brown. I thought about a lot of players, but if you look at Jalen Brown's numbers, he's playing the same minutes per game as he did last year, only taking a couple more shots, and his points per game has risen by seven almost. He is shooting efficiently from three over 40%. He really is taking that leap into superstar that Jason Tatum seemed to take in the second half of last season. And he's just continuing to get better and better and better. And the way that I see it, 
the trend isn't going to be going the opposite way. A lot of times when I've been talking about Jalen Brown in the past, a lot of people have put kind of, I guess, oh, him in a box or say, oh, he can't get to this point, can't get to this point. And I understood where they were coming from, but I've always been somebody who's really in on Jalen Brown's potential, and this year just kind of solidifies it. I mean, playing the same amount of minutes, but jumping your points per game up about seven points when you were already somebody who was as good and as important as Jalen Brown, I think that leap is a little bit harder to make than maybe the good player to really good player or bad to good. Jalen is having an incredible season, and I am absolutely one of the people who has put him in a box previously. In fact, I would say that he's probably one of the players I've been more wrong about, not as far as saying that he couldn't be a really good, productive, winning player. It's just... When I looked at Jalen, and he was sort of this canvas when he came into the NBA because he had such tremendous athletic tools, but he didn't have a developed handle. He didn't have any sort of playmaking instincts. He didn't have a shot. It was really pretty remarkable he went third overall when you think about what he actually was at Cal, which was not a very good basketball player, but with maybe some promising athletic traits. And now, he's just progressed to the point where, okay, he did solidify that shot, and you saw the two-way value. And that's really where he continued to thrive was mostly as a three and D guy, even through last season, as his handle improved, as his shot creation improved a bit, it was still primarily the value was three and D. And that's why I didn't see that super high level ceiling because he just didn't have incredible fluidity. He didn't have incredible feel. And I thought those are the kind of things that most people are born with. You don't really acquire those. And now he has this deadly mid range pull up game. His handle is excellent compared to what it was just two years ago. His playmaking, what was previously an incredible weakness. It's certainly not a strength at this point, but He's gotten much better at at least making the right meet, making the right reads, making the passes he needs to, whereas previously, even last year, he was just completely missing stuff. So he's fantastic. He's had an incredible season. He's not in my top two candidates. He might be my third guy. I actually have Jeremy Grant for this, and this was a really tough one because, as I hinted at earlier, Christian Wood was the guy who really pushed for this award, in my opinion, because... He's averaging 23.5 and, and 11 on 53% from the field, 36% from three. It's ridiculous production. And although he was exceptional when he played last year, and part of the reason why I didn't pick him for most improved was in my mind, he kind of was already a star. Per 36, his production was pretty similar to what he's doing right now. He just has more minutes, more opportunities. But he also is significantly better. His floater game is really in addition to his game. He didn't have that last year like he has shown this year. He's taking more volume threes. He just looks more comfortable with it. And he's protecting the rim at a higher level, averaging 1.8 blocks per game. So between him and Grant, I think Wood is more impressive. He's the player I would rather have if I'm trying to win. I think he's easier to fit into a high-level system. And he doesn't demand necessarily a great number of touches. He gets his 23 a game really efficiently and without disrupting the flow of the offense. But... The more surprising of these two progressions to me is absolutely Jeremy Grant. And although his 24 a game, you could argue, is as meaningless as any 24 points per game in the NBA, and actually I would say just flat out is because he has a volume of opportunities that nobody else does, he's doing it with solid efficiency, 44, 38, 85 splits, and it's an interesting blend of on and off ball. His handle is much better. He has been pretty solid finishing around the rim and has been a really lethal catch-and-shoot guy. So... Jeremy Grant, to me, I never saw this coming. He was the kind of guy who in Denver, when he took the ball away from Murray and Jokic for a possession, you were kind of like, why are you doing that? And now, again, even though it may be meaningless, what he's doing is impressive. So we'll see how sustainable it is. But right now, for him doubling his scoring and just adding skills that I never expected from him, he is a slightly better candidate in my eyes than Wood. I think the, the meaningless is harsh. Meaningless towards winning, for sure. But not meaningless for Detroit, just in the future and overall, and for Jeremy Grant himself. I mean, he bet on himself. He went to Detroit to do exactly what he was doing. And you have to admit, there's a significant difference. Like you said last episode with the Brooklyn stuff, between wanting to do something and being able to go out there and actually do it. So he was my number two. He, If you're going to kind of stick to the traditional way that MIP is, instead of that good to great, but that initial jump, I think Jeremy Grant is definitely up there. Obviously, Christian Wood, kind of the same scenario. Like He's in a different place. He has a lot more going through him, a different location. He's still able to put up better numbers than he did before in Detroit. I also like to throw a little love to Mikhail Bridges, just over Overall, as far as becoming a complete player, this guy has a shot that is incredible. He went started 6-for-6 six for, six for 3 in a couple games ago against Denver. He has been a lethal 3-point shooter, attacking off the dribble. Basically the perfect perfect 5th starter uh, or 4th starter at certain points for the Suns. So just a little love to, to Mikhail's way. So Carson, I'll let you take the reins here. What award would you like to dive into next? 
Let's go for the big dog, MVP. All right, MVP. Carson, who did you pick for MVP at the beginning of the season? So I picked LeBron. I thought that it was kind of going to be a perfect storm for him. I thought the narrative would be favorable. I thought the Lakers would be the best team out West. And I thought that his statistical production, as it always is, would be incredible. And I guess he's a decent candidate, but to me, he just hasn't given the night-to-night effort that is required to win this award because I don't think that he really cares about winning this award. So to me, the pick is pretty easily Nikola Jokic, and there's another guy who I could maybe understand, but what he's doing on a night-to-night basis is like nothing I've ever seen in my life, averaging 26-12 and almost 10 on 56-35-83 splits. He touches the ball every single possession and is so vital to creating offense for everyone around him. And the Nuggets currently have the number three offense in basketball, which their personnel would not suggest. And yes, maybe their record isn't as shiny as it could be. They're sitting at nine and seven. And part of that is due to issues on the defensive end of the floor. But I do think they're a better team than that record. And I think that that is all because of Jokic, because he inspires everybody to play better basketball. Guys are always cutting and moving without the ball because of him, and you don't really see that elsewhere. He is the best passer in basketball, to me, almost without a doubt at this point, especially when it comes to moving the ball and just creating within the flow of an offense, seeing everybody at all times. And when he's determined like he is this year, I think he's the best post scorer in basketball, and he has shown that, which previously had really reserved for only the playoffs. So at the end of the year, if the Nuggets finish as what I believe they are right now, the five seed, I don't know if he should win this award. I think that'd be an interesting debate. But considering we're 16 games into the season, regular season record is a little bit secondary to me right now to what the dude is doing on a night-to-night basis. And I said this after last night's game against the Suns. That felt like one of the worst games he had played this year. And he had 29-22-6 and and was pivotal with the go-ahead bucket and regulation, took over in the overtime periods. Like, that's just stupid when that feels like one of the worst games you play on a season. And it's most people's best game of their career. So... What he's doing so is what happens when we have Frank Kaminsky switched on you for part of the game. Yes, I concur. That was really hard to watch. I felt really bad for Frank. But what he's doing as far as carrying those around him, elevating this offense, is more impressive than anyone else in basketball. And I think that he is one of the most underappreciated talents of our time because people are still comparing him to Embiid. And that, to me, is just he left that conversation in the dust a long while ago. Look, man, I think Jokic is incredible. He is in my honorable mentions for MVP, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up winning the whole thing. I I agree with everything you say, and at this point, if you don't agree with what you're saying, you're just simply not watching Nikola Jokic play basketball, which is fine. You're just doing yourself a disservice by not watching him. I do have Joel Embiid as my MVP for the season. Before the season, I picked Kawhi Leonard. I still feel like Kawhi could maybe pick, make a push, but the Clippers, it kind of feels like Paul George is the one getting the, the majority of kind of the media attention, and he's having an incredible season. Don't get me wrong, his insane shooting splits, that definitely should be acknowledged. I just thought that, hey, the Clippers are going to come out and just really take control of this Western Conference, kind of in a way like the Lakers did. They haven't done that yet, but I still feel like there's time for that. I'm not super confident, but I don't think it's impossible for Kawhi to win it. I am going to roll with Embiid, like I said before, though. I mean, the numbers are undeniable. 27-11, the Sixers have the best record in the East. Everything has gone through him. He looks absolutely dominant out there as well. Jokic is obviously a different skill set, and as far as passing goes, he is on completely another level, but Joel Embiid's defensive prowess and defensive impact in general is incredible. The Sixers as a whole team seem to be figuring out a little bit better. You can give Doc Rivers credit for that. But at the end of the day, I do think you need to credit the best player on the team. And without a doubt, the best player on the team is Joel Embiid. And... I don't know how many super strong cases for MVP we have this year. A lot of the teams that we're seeing, except for like the Nuggets, seem to be a lot of team-built success. Like the Lakers, as you were saying, LeBron was on cruise control. AD even said that he's been sucking so far, even though he's come back and had some good performances. But their role players have taken a huge step forward. Their defense has taken a huge step forward. They're playing together as a team. And the Bucks in general, like Giannis is, is doing good. He's doing Giannis things, but he's not like going out they're completely dominating and having this runaway MVP style season so in all of that I am going to take record into account I know that it's only a month in but 
it's something that is just usually brought into this award anyway, so a month in, I'm going to bring it in. Jokic is my number two, and I still think LeBron's up there, which just is, I think, a testament to LeBron. I would never give it to him at this point, but I do think that you need to recognize the team with the best record in the West as well, and their best player has been LeBron, and I believe he's averaging 24-8-8, which is terrible for everybody, or terrible for LeBron, but great for everybody else, so he's on, he's kind of cruising through, we might talk about a little cruise control later, but Embiid has taken my MVP. The Embiid case baffles me, and I don't really understand how this narrative is starting and taking control. I guess the fact that they have the best record in the East right now, he deserves credit for that, and he's playing maybe the best basketball of his life, particularly on the offensive end. I just think his defense is massively overrated on a night-to-night basis. He's a lumbering guy who doesn't give effort that consistently, and he's actually allowing people, when he is the primary defender, to shoot better than their average on this season, which I think is a concerning statistic. And then on the offensive end, He's a fantastic one-on-one scorer, but Jokic is, to me, the best offensive engine in basketball right now, along with fully committed LeBron and Luka. The things that he can do as far as driving everyone around him, elevating them to be the best version of themselves, it just doesn't compare to what anyone else is doing. So I don't think it's very close between those two. To me, the second best candidate would be KD because what he's doing on a night-to-night basis is disgusting. And I guess that the counter is... It's such a talented team, and their record doesn't reflect it at this point. But averaging 31-7-6 and six on 54-47.5 splits because it's just efficiency. Like, you could never see sustained for a whole season, but that's just disgusting right now. He, to me, is the second-best guy. But I, I watch both these guys on a night-to-night basis, and what Embiid's doing is incredible. But what Jokic is doing, elevating everybody else, to me, is just unmatched. This is probably going to be the closest MVP season we've had in a while, don't you think? Like, it kind of feels like every year... I know last year there was LeBron-Giannis comparisons, but it never really felt like that truly picked up steam. A lot of it was narrative-based, and it feels like this year a lot of different guys, kind of depending on who takes charge when, could really take this award home. I mean, we've mentioned LeBron, KD, Jokic, Embiid. I've mentioned Kawhi, and like, there's a lot of other players on good teams right now that I think could make a case eventually. Eventually they could. But I, I'm not mad at the Jokic thing. I, I, I understand maybe why you're not as excited about the about the Embiid side of it. But uh, I, I still think that Embiid deserves a recognition as of now. I don't know if I bet on him to win the whole thing. But as of now, I'd still roll with them. Let's go with over to Rookie of the Year. I went with LaMelo Ball at the beginning of the season. I've always been a fan of LaMelo's talent and... In this draft class, which was notoriously dogged on for basically not having any upper-level talent, there's been some guys that have performed well. So, Carson, who did you pick uh, for your Rookie of the Year before, and then who are you going with as of right now? So, I went with Obi Toppin, an atrocious pick, and I was not a big (laughs) Obi guy, but I just thought with the volume of opportunities that he would probably have in New York with a pretty well-developed offensive skill set as far as being able to score in multiple phases out of the post as a lob threat, as a roll man, as a catch-and-shoot guy, I thought he'd probably put up like 15 a game, relatively meaningless stats on a not-great Knicks team. That has not been the case. He obviously has dealt with injuries, but he's only scoring five a game when he does play. So I have Halliburton right now. I think that what he's doing is incredible. He is, to me, easily the most capable player of driving winning out of this rookie class, giving you 11.5, and 3-5 on 50% from the field, 47% from three. As a catch-and-shoot guy, has been lethal. As a transition playmaker, has been exceptional. As a pick-and-roll playmaker, has been fantastic and is giving you really high-level defense on the other end. The guy who I can understand making a case for outside of him is LaMelo because of the sensational playmaking that we've seen from him, but... What Halliburton is doing right now to me is just more meaningful. It contributes more to winning long term. And I'm a little bit upset because I feel like I kind of misevaluated his talent. I got fixated on him being a pick and roll heavy ball handler like most point guards are in the modern NBA. And that's the role I sort of typecast him in. And I got concerned because I was like, I don't think this dude can consistently shoot pull up jumpers because of his shot and his release point and how he gets it off. And I'm still not fully convinced by that. Off the catch, he's fantastic. We haven't seen him shoot that many pull-ups this year because, I think, of his shot. But he hasn't needed it. His playmaking instincts are so brilliant, and everything else that he does just contributes to winning. So I would take him above everybody else right now. Yeah, he he was probably the person that we disagreed on the most, I would say, because I had him pretty early in my top 10, I think 7 or 6, and I don't even think you had him in the top in the lottery, did you? Well, we only did the or top was he at 10. The he, end? Would have, he would have been my 11th guy, but I did not have okay. him in the top 10. Okay. 
I forget how how many we did. I don't want to slander you out here. I don't well, want to slander I actually, you. Well, and I actually, and I did like him more than that. It just came down to positional needs, and I, I had Tyrese Maxey going eight, and I was highly debating Maxey or Halliburton, and I went with Maxey, and that's what pushed Halliburton out. But I just, I think I was just perceiving the wrong role for him at the next level. Yeah, and Maxey wasn't a terrible choice. He he's had some moments over there in Philadelphia and has has been a pretty significant part to their rotation. I'm still rolling with Lamelo for my Rookie of the Year. I mean, he leads in points, rebounds, and assists, and he's coming off the bench as well. He's bought into his role. It seems like every game he's getting better too. Tyrese Halliburton is somebody to where if I'm trying to win now, I'd rather have that person on my team. However, usually if you have a rookie on your team, you're not trying to win now as much. And even though Charlotte is kind of in that mode with Gordon Hayward and some other players, Lomelo's fitting in fine, fitting in great. And uh, he, he's had a lot of great moments and consistently has gotten better. I just think all around, he has just done the most. And the shot has not been consistent, but it's been there at some points. And I think that's, as of right now, all you could ask for. For Lomelo, Halliburton would have been my number two. And then, I, you know, I hear maybe some wise men, some Isaac Okoro, who's played the most minutes out of anybody in the rookie class for Cleveland. I think he's playing, like, the high 30s minutes per game, like 37, 38, which is ridiculous, especially for a rookie on a team in Cleveland that's doing okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I get the Halliburton pick. I'm still going to roll with LaMelo. I think the raw talent and still maybe not the impact towards winning, I guess, but just the impact when he is on the court, and I don't think that he's been able to, to give the keys that LaMelo is going to need to unlock his his true potential as he spent a majority on this season coming off the bench. Uh, but I, I'm excited. Like, this rookie class is definitely exceeding expectations, I think, but it probably got to the point where, as a collective, we were just so used to looking at the same class that we just really started nitpicking them and maybe got a little bit too pessimistic. I would say speak for yourself. I was always higher on this class than you were. And <laughs> fair enough, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, and there were some fun gems deep within this class too. We talked about Maxi briefly. He has been awesome to watch. He's just a dazzling shot maker. Dude just has a really deep bag. And also another Kentucky guard, Emmanuel, quickly. Those two guys might have top five floater games in the NBA. They're just really fun to watch and quickly has great playmaking instincts as well. And then also Cole Anthony. I know that most people may have only seen the highlight of him hitting that game winner and he has not been efficient this year whatsoever but I do think that he's had the ball in his hands a lot and he's shown some impressive stuff for the Magic so none of those guys are legit candidates but just guys who are playing well out of this class and of course you know Cole Anthony without Markel Fultz who was supposed to be you know that starting point guard and, and now Cole has been put into a more prominent role with Orlando and I mean, he's not afraid to take that shot, like you were saying. And at this point, that's kind of what Orlando needs. They need that shot creator at point guard. They need that bucket getter. And, and he could definitely fill in a, uh, a good role for them. So let's jump over to defensive player of the year. This, to me, was probably the one that I struggled with the most, just because I don't know if anybody is really standing out as a far and away number one candidate. I went with Anthony Davis beforehand. He, I thought he should have won it last year, uh, but he didn't, unfortunately. And I thought that, you know, he was going to come out this year and, and really make a statement. And as far as team defense goes, the Lakers are fantastic. And, and AD is, has been good as well. He's in my honorable mentions. My defensive player of the year is Rudy Gobert. I, I don't know if that's boring or it, it probably is. But at this point with a race that's kind of like this close with nobody really standing out, I'm just going to go with Gobert. His impact is undeniable. Um, especially on the defensive end. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have gotten $200 million in Shaq and his feelings. Uh, I also thought about Miles Turner. Obviously, the block per game stat is incredible. I mean, this dude is like swallowing up four blocks basically every single game, if not getting higher up in there. So I think he deserves some recognition. But when, it come, when push comes to shove, I'm going to go with the Rudy Gobert type when things are this close. So that's who has it for me now, even though I picked AD at the beginning of the year. So we have very similar trajectories here. I also picked AD preseason. I also thought AD should have won it last year. And I also have Gobert right now. And the Gobert-Turner decision was an interesting one because when you're looking at raw playmaking stats, 4.1 blocks per game for Turner, 1.4 steals per game. And if you're looking at just rim protection, I think there's a strong case to be made for Turner. He has been an eraser. He is holding people at the rim 17% below their normal field goal percentage. That is like unthinkable dominance. But to me, every other phase of the game kind of goes to Gobert when it comes to IQ, when it comes to anticipation, 
switchability, rebounding, which is really not a strength of Turner's. And I think that Turner sometimes just gets caught chasing blocks. And he has good feet, but he doesn't have the kind of feet out on the perimeter that Gobert has. And when you look at them guarding guards, Gobert out on the perimeter is holding people 3.4% below their average shooting from beyond the arc. Turner is allowing people to shoot 43.6% from deep. And I think that that just speaks to the fact that Gobert is so much better out there against the smaller guys. So the Jazz are also, once again, a top six defense in basketball. And I think that that just speaks to Gobert's value as a switchable guy, as a deterrent in the paint, as the kind of guy who just understands the game on a higher level. So what Turner's doing is incredible. He's been one of the best shot blockers in basketball for a while, but this is on a different level. But he's just not as good of a play-to-play defender as Gobert is. He doesn't have the same impact on his team as a whole. And so this was an interesting one, but I think Gobert has to be the pick. Any love for Kawhi Leonard? I've seen him get some deep play buzz on the timeline. And I mean, he is doing some incredible Kawhi things, snatching the ball out of people's hands while they're driving, locking up on the perimeter. I mean, he's he's looking defensively a lot more like Kawhi of the past. Uh, so I don't know if if maybe his name should be tossed into the, into the hat. Yeah, Kawhi is definitely playing on a high level on that end. To me, if you're going to give it to a wing, they have to be having a really incredible season. And... I don't think Kawhi is having that kind of campaign right now. Yes, he is definitely producing as a defensive playmaker, but he is actually allowing, like I gave for the stat with Embiid, he's allowing people to shoot better than their normal field goal percentage with him as the primary defender. And it's not like that is the end-all be-all of defensive stats, but I do think that if that's the case, you probably shouldn't be in real serious deep point contention. So I just think that right now, Gobert gives so much more effort. It's so much more essential to his team and to his value to where Kawhi can just coast sometimes on the defensive end and it doesn't matter because we know what the Clippers are and we know what he is. If Gobert isn't dominating the game defensively, then why is Rudy Gobert out there? And that hurts the Jazz as a team. So Kawhi is interesting, but I wouldn't consider him that seriously at this point. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, he has a chance if if he really makes a run, he could put it out there. But I I saw his name, so maybe talk about the buzz a little bit. All right, two more of the regular awards before we jump into some of the more unique awards that we made up before the show. Let's jump into Sixth Man of the Year. Carson, who was your Sixth Man of the Year going into the season? My Sixth Man of the Year coming in was Danilo Gallinari, who has basically not played basketball this season. So that is a little bit unfortunate because I don't know if he'll even be healthy uh, for enough games to be a contender for this award. But I have Jordan Clarkson right now. This was not a difficult choice for me. I think that what he's doing as far as pure bucket getting is sensational, giving you 17 and a half a game on 49% from the field, 41% from three. And he's doing it in really every way imaginable. He's doing it at the rim. He's got a nice floater game. He's killing people with pull-ups and One of my favorite things is he's finding more success off the ball than he ever has before because sometimes Clarkson has a tendency to be a guy who's really just fixated on scoring with the ball in his hands, could maybe be a little bit of a ball stopper, but he's shooting 48% on catch and shoot threes this year and he's taking a bunch of them and that just helps him fit in so much better with the flow of this Utah offense that is predicated on ball movement, on dudes just shooting the lights out and he's doing an exceptional job. So he was kind of a runaway candidate to me at this point and I'll be interested to see if anyone can really push for this right now. Yeah, we have pretty similar trajectories on this one as well. So my sixth man of the year, I said Karis LeVert, and then I kind of cheated, said slash Spencer Dinwiddie, whoever comes off the bench for them. Obviously, Dinwiddie injured LeVert on a different team and out due to medical reasons. I also have Jordan Clarkson. At this point, I didn't even put any honorable mentions. Uh, One of the awards that I put down that I wanted to talk about was Bench Unit. Uh, so far of, of the year, just because I feel like that's kind of more of a conversation. And especially with Utah, they've been bombing away from threes, and Jordan Clarkson's a huge part of that, a huge reason why they are so deadly and potent on night to night. And it's nice to see somebody like Jordan Clarkson kind of find their role in the NBA because he's been somebody who he had his moments before, maybe in spots he would go off, but he never really found his role on the bench. I don't know if he ever really accepted it either, but now that he's in Utah, he really seems to fit in there and fit into the play style and has kind of molded his game around that. And it's worked really well for both of them, Utah and Jordan Clarkson. So mutually beneficial on that end, sixth man of the year. Last one of the regular awards coach of the year this one as well didn't have anybody truly stand out to me uh frank vogel is going to be my pick i do think that he does deserve credit for getting la to play as the team together as he has he didn't win it last year 
I feel like this is probably going to be his year as long as LA maintains that number one seed. Got to give some love to Taylor Jenkins as well. Uh, decimated roster out there in Memphis and still able to put wins together, be competitive on a night-to-night basis without at least their second best player for the entire season in Jaron Jackson Jr. And of course, stretches without John Morant and of course, Justice Winslow as well. So got to give credit to him. But overall, Vogel, number one seed in the West, top defense in the league, team playing as a whole, has role players absolutely excelling where they are, and he deserves credit for that. Coach of the Year is always an interesting one because there's a good deal of variety, I feel, especially early in the season. I have Quinn Snyder right now, so my second consecutive Jazz Award. I just think with the level they're playing at, 12-4, and four, having won eight straight, tied for the second best record in the NBA. If you're looking at the top strata of teams and you learn that the top three records in basketball include the two LA teams, and then you're wagering on who the third one is coming into the season, you would not expect it to be the Utah Jazz, and I think that that is telling to the job that he has done. And also just, this team is gelling. It feels like they're realizing a ceiling that maybe was on the table last year for them as a two-way team, but they're fifth in offensive rating, they're sixth in defensive rating, Conley is gelling better off the ball right now, their bench unit is improved, Clarkson is balling, they are the best three-point shooting team in basketball, and... I think that Snyder deserves a lot of credit for that. He's a great coach, and he has been for some time, and this team is overperforming right now, but they just look really good, and I expect sustained success from them. Taylor Jenkins is a good call as an honorable mention because I think that that dude should have been in the conversation last year and deserves to be in the conversation again this year. His first two seasons have been really impressive. I also think Pop deserves a long, hard look for this award right now. Generally, you have to be among the league's elite to win Coach of the Year, but having the Spurs team at 8-8, eight and eight, That is not what I expected coming into the season, and it looks relatively sustainable to me. The young guys are balling out, and I appreciate him letting them play and putting their development on display. So I'm a big fan of what Pop has done right now as well, but I am going Quinn Snyder. Interesting, we did not mention a single Eastern Conference candidate. I guess Doc you could maybe throw into the ring because the Sixers are just gelling better, but I really think that that's more due to Maury just acquiring the right talent. And, you know, you do have to give Doc Rivers credit. Uh, for putting it together and, and making it work because sometimes like you get pieces that should work and they don't. Maybe I'd throw them in my honorable mentions. I'm not like super crazy about that. The Eastern Conference in general, like Budenholzer, uh, who's won it before, he is still not making mid-game adjustments. And I think we're at the point where it's like it's a little bit ridiculous that he's refusing to make adjustments that definitely should be made Steve Nash is of course a name that's been thrown around we'll see what he could do with Brooklyn I feel like his test is really yet to come uh for this meat of the season and if he can make sense of it his name might be thrown in there but yeah I'm pretty on board and solid with uh who we think is coach of the year so Carson we have a couple fun awards or just different awards not usual ones we both came up with a couple so which one would you like to start off with? Of course, we're not going to have who we picked before because we didn't pick these awards before. I say we start with least valuable player. All right, Carson, let's get mean. Let's get mean. Who's your least valuable player of the season? So just to clarify, this is referring to not the literal worst NBA player that there is, but someone who you expected to have Correct. a big role to produce at a high level and who has been a serious letdown in that respect. And there were a couple candidates who I consider for this, I want to shout out Blake Griffin as an honorable mention. Now, my expectations for him weren't particularly high just because of what we saw him look like last year, but it's been a little disappointing to see that he's really just not an effective NBA player at this point. He's basically a subpar catch-and-shoot guy half the time. He has no dynamism to his first step, and he's just really struggling out there, which is a bummer because of how great he was a couple years ago. But my selection is Robert Covington because... The Blazers gave up such significant capital to go get him, bring him in, and say, okay, you're going to be a cure to some of our defensive issues on the wings. You're going to be able to successfully spot up and punish people if they try to double dame, and you can be sort of a cure to that as well. And he hasn't been, particularly on the offensive end. He's giving you 6.6 points per game on 30% from three. And I think that part of my frustration with this is what I talked about earlier. They should be starting Gary Trent Jr., and I think that Rocco's struggles are compounded by Derek Jones Jr. shooting 25.7% from three as well because the vision for this team of finally having guys who can defend on the wings and knock down threes that the Blazers have never really had that combination before that's not happening right now because of how these dudes are shooting and I also think I didn't expect the Blazers to have a good defense this year but I expected to be them I expected them to be approaching league average and they're 28th right now and 
the field goal differential stat that I have referenced a couple times, Rocco is allowing people to shoot 53% from the field when he is their primary defender. That is atrocious, and that is 6% better than his opponent's average. And he also, just in his role in Portland, isn't bringing you the rebounding and the rim protection value that he showed in Houston because he's guarding much more on the perimeter, not as much on the interior, where he actually was sometimes better last season than he was out on the perimeter. So all around... I've just been disappointed with him. I thought they gave up too much value at the time to get him, but then I thought, okay, at least he'll be really beneficial to what they're doing. And now it's just disappointing to see what he's doing on a night-to-night basis. And of course, now Portland decimated by injuries. CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic. Like, it, this is now time, I guess, maybe they're going to be more spaced for him. Maybe they're going to put him at that five role that he was playing a lot in Houston as well because they don't really want to rely on uh, Ennis Cantor or maybe even Harry Giles but yeah pretty disappointing you don't trade for Robert Covington and get Derek Jones Jr. on your squad to be the third worst defensive team in the league you just don't do that that's not where you want to be my pick th- this is a tough one I'm interested to see how you react to this because if you just look at the numbers I guess this person's doing okay but on a game-to-game basis they've been nowhere near where they need to be and that's Jamal Murray. I knew you. I, the second you started to describe that and looked at me that way as if I might be upset, I could tell that's where you were going. It's just like, I don't know if I'm crazy. He's averaging 19 points per game, which is good, which is fine. But after what we saw in the playoffs last season, and now we're in a team that needs him. Like, he is needed because Jokic is, like you said, doing absolutely everything. You can't come out and have a five-point game if you're Jamal Murray. Like, I know we had some good performances against the Suns, but it varies from half to half. One half, he's not aggressive at all. He's not coming out and shooting. He's not coming out and attacking. He's not creating outside of Jokic. He, sometimes he's moving off the ball way less than the people around him, but then he comes out another half and is super engaged. But if I'm Denver, I need that Jamal Murray all of the time. There there's no reason why with his skill set and his motor and what he's shown us, he should not be averaging over 20 points per game, especially on this team where you have somebody like Nikola Jokic, who's the best at finding you in your spots and finding you off the ball. Look, defensively, this team is terrible. They're so bad. They lost so many pieces. I feel like you kind of expected Jamal Murray to come up and, and be sort of that saving grace. And It's pretty easy to say that if he had been more consistent, if he hadn't gone out here and dropped these single-digit games or these low-scoring games or low-scoring halves, Denver wouldn't be in the position that they are with these low records. And Jokic's MVP case would probably be way more out there, way more public, way more well-known. I just feel like, yes, his counting numbers are okay, but if you watch him play in the role that he's supposed to play in, I don't feel like he's really come anywhere near where Denver needs him to be. Least valuable player to me is a little bit harsh, but I agree with the sentiment of what you're saying. He's not playing at the level that we expected of him and really even close to level that we saw him play at for an extended period of time in the playoffs. And it's not just the production. There are tangible things that he is not doing as well. He's not getting downhill nearly as much, not attempting as many shots around the rim. And last season, he was putting on just a show of at-rim finishing that I can really only compare to... Kyrie that I've ever seen in my lifetime it was incredible and the playmaking the layups in the Lakers series dude oh my god it was ridiculous he he was getting the line more than he is this season by a considerable amount which has always been a weakness of his game and just the fact that he's needed those automatic buckets a little bit and he hasn't consistently gotten them and I think that also the playmaking that we saw from him where he looked like a true point guard who could really facilitate at a high level making some reads making some passes we had never seen that has kind of evaporated. Sometimes he just flat out misses Jokic in spots where he's open. And he's been inefficient. 44% from the field, 33% from three. So I understand this. I think that he has been disappointing. I couldn't put him on the least valuable player level, but I understand where you're coming from. I expected more out of him. I'll throw this right back at you, though, if we're going to take shots at each other's favorite players. Please. Russ, Russ I know he's only played seven games. But okay, don't say that he's my favorite player. He's your favorite yeah. player in the world, and he's been terrible. <laughs> he has been bad, and I, there's no denying that, and I'm fine admitting that because I don't have like this Stan undying love for Russ. Yes, I feel like he was traded 
he was treated a little bit unfairly to say that he completely didn't contribute to winning basketball or anything before, especially last year when he was in Houston and playing some of the best basketball of his career. But looking at it the way that it is now, he doesn't fit in Washington. I did think the fit was going to be better. That I was wrong about. But I don't care if you don't think Russell Westbrook is playing good. That doesn't hurt me. That doesn't affect me. I, I think you could make, I don't know, like least valuable player if – the way that I looked at it was more like, hey, what role were you supposed to fill in and what percentage of that role did you fill? So, like, Jamal Murray's baseline is going to be a lot higher than even, like, a Robert Covington, you know? So, it's like, that's where I get that least valuable. I do feel like Devin Booker, he shouldn't be in the least valuable conversation, but it should be acknowledged that his play has taken a little bit of a downturn. I think a huge part of that is because he's still figuring out how to play with Chris Paul, but there are also a lot of tangible things, like you said with Murray, that Booker needs to work on. His turnovers this year have been absolutely atrocious. He does need to work on maybe establishing a shot for more than one quarter a game, but he has not really played up to the expectations in the all-star level that he had played last season. I don't think it's nearly as bad as Jamal Murray. Like, you won't find Devin Booker having a five-point game or not really being aggressive for an entire uh, game. But I think it should be acknowledged that you should expect more out of Devin Booker in his role in Phoenix. I think he'll get there, but you have to expect him to do that and hold him to that as well. I would like to throw another Phoenix Sun just into the ring and obviously the Suns are playing good basketball, but the way Chris Paul is playing this year is just so weird where he decides Very I want to score for the first three quarters. And then you watch him when he's motivated and cares and he's this mid-range assassin that he always has been, but just be scoring under 14 a game, 43.6% from the field, under 28% from three. It's just not quite what I was expecting from him. I get that he wants to be that facilitator above all else, but dude, you're a bucket. Go out there and assert yourself more as a scorer and it's so often you see him entering the fourth quarter with six, eight points, and it's just kind of like, why? Yeah, his refusal to kind of shoot any catch-and-shoot threes, anything kind of getting... He, he's like to put, He likes to put the ball into the ground. He likes to dribble he, the hell out of the ball. Sure and we knew that about Chris Paul, and I'm okay with that from Chris Paul because, I mean, he had 15 assists and a half the other day. But I would like to take a little time machine trip real quick with you, Carson. Let's travel back to about a month into last season as well. What were people saying about OKC, Chris Paul? Basically about the same thing. He did not start the season off going full, balls to the wall, pedal to the metal, you know. He wasn't going out there and really taking over and dominating, but by the time that he got to the playoffs, he was scoring and looking for a shot a lot more. And in yesterday's game against a Bookerless Suns, Paul led the team in scoring. He was looking for a shot a lot more. And I do feel like a lot of that is still, hey, they're figuring out the flow in Phoenix. And I do think that's kind of the scariest part. And I'll lead that into bench unit of the year, which is the next award that I want to talk about, because I do have the Phoenix Suns winning this. And you can call me a homer, whatever the hell you want. I don't care. I've been pretty real with the Phoenix Suns for basically the entirety that I've been talking about basketball. This second unit with Phoenix, especially when fully healthy, which unfortunately hasn't happened the entire season, of campaign Javon Carter it was Cam Johnson now it's Jay Crowder who was a starter on a finals team last year Dario Saric Langston Galloway who can hit a three at any second Abdel Nader like they've come in and their defensive rating alone has been absolutely incredible the full court press of Javon and campaign who they have both really taken on a new identity in these roles in Phoenix I love Javon in Memphis and of course he's kind of fit in but campaign basically resurrecting his career like there have been a ton of games this season where Phoenix's starters have looked like the worst group of five and that includes Devin Booker DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul so I really want to give credit to the Suns team because Without that bench unit, I could definitely see them with a losing record right now and Suns fans completely freaking out. Monty Williams, James Jones, they made the right decisions. They filled their team with the right players and it's definitely working out for them and it's giving them a baseline that is allowing their stars to figure out what they need to figure out. So I went with the Suns for this. What Any other bench units that stand out to you? Because they were obviously just the first one to pop into my mind. The Suns were third on my list. They were one of two honorable mentions I had, and I do agree this unit is playing really well, and obviously Cam Johnson's progression has just been incredible, and Crowder, when he's getting minutes with the second unit, has also been really impressive as far as doing the things that he's good at. Campaign, to me, is such an interesting case because the dude is just so confident and has so much faith in himself, but is playing at a high level and is showing some nice facilitating ability. Obviously, showing some shot-making off the dribble as well, so... This is a good second unit for sure. I actually have the Lakers right now. And 
It's a really strong group. Obviously, you have the addition of totally Tess. fair. You have totally the addition, fair. You have the addition of Wes Matthews and Kuz is playing at a really high level. He's just a sharpshooter right now. Keith has been okay when he's been out there. Caruso is doing Caruso things, but Trez is the guy who stands out to me just because I was so low on his value after what we saw in last year's playoffs, and I think that although many of the same questions about his value to winning still apply, he is obviously not really a floor spacer. He can't be your defensive five. All of that is true, but he's a better player than he was last year, and particularly his face-up game is just so evolved. The fact that he can actually knock down mid-range jumpers and keep people honest from that distance now has been really big for him, and he also just gives effort on a night-to-night basis, as do all these guys. So as AD and LeBron are kind of just coasting through this regular season, these guys are picking up a lot of the slack, along with Schroeder, who is obviously a starter, and they are helping this team be the best in basketball right now. My other honorable mention, I will say, and we talked about this with Jordan Clarkson, but the Jazz's second unit is balling right now. Ingles, the addition of favors is huge. This was such a short bench last year. You were talking about guys like Tony Bradley getting serious minutes and Emmanuel Moutier, and now Georges Nyang is the last guy who really plays, and he's been playing well this season just as far as his value as a pure shooter, so... I really like the Jazz second unit. I really like the Suns, but I think the Lakers have the most talented group. And it's one of the things that sets them apart as yet again, the title favorite in my eyes is that these dudes are just balling. Yeah, the Lakers are are a great choice. And especially like Montrez, because his role right now is, I guess, kind of similar in the regular season to what it was in Los Angeles. But when it gets in, in, with the Clippers, of course, but when it gets to the playoffs, he's not going to be asked to do the same thing as he did with with the Clippers. He'll be using a completely different role, I believe, and, and that's going to be up to my coach of the year, Frank Vogel. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Caruso, Kuzma, like like they kind of have a a mixed bench where it's like you could be a starter, you could be off the bench. They kind of have that luxury, and that's a good sign that you have a great bench. So I, I don't hate that pick at all. All right, Carson, we're, we're nearing the end of our, our awards. What Which one would you like to uh, go to next? Let's do most entertaining. All right, Carson, most entertaining. Who, who'd you got? Well, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. I'm going to go with Nikola Jokic. It'll be his second award on this fair. night. He, he's clean yeah, enough. It's enough. just, it's really, truly like nothing I've ever seen. And I love watching him do the Sambor shuffle out there. I think that to me, the things that make a basketball player enjoying to wa- enjoyable to watch, incredibly high IQ, great touch, Obviously, passing above all else, that's my favorite trait in a basketball player. He just excels above everybody else, and the offensive load that he has is ridiculous right now. So watching him on a night-to-night basis is just an absolute thrill. He has not let his team down once all season, and he does it in a way that is just magical to watch. And like nothing else that we've ever had, not just in basketball right now, but in basketball history as far as a big man who can be the epicenter of an offense creating for others like that. And I honestly think there's a case to be made that... His offensive value right now is the greatest of any center in a single season just because even as unstoppable as guys like Wilt and Kareem have been as individual scorers and Shaq, none of them have ever elevated their teammates like this, and that's what drives great team offense. He's a Magic, a LeBron, a Luka, and he's doing it out of the post, and we've never seen that before. So he's my MVP. He's also my most entertaining, and I just love the guy. I, 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 right now, Carson's got a blank wall behind him on his Zoom, and I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the season, just a couple of Nikola Jokic jerseys and Nikola Jokic fat head, maybe even get you a cameo from Nikola Jokic saying, Carson, congrats on the Bills winning the 2021 Super Bowl. Oh, man. If you did them, <laughs> I would pay a pretty penny for that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who I'd pay a pretty penny for. My most entertaining player now. I sat around for a little bit, and I was like, man, what, what are names that, that come to mind for me? And I had names like, okay, LeBron, of course. Zach Levine is somebody where it's like he can catch fire. Even LaMelo is a ton of fun to watch. But I felt stupid after thinking of all those names. It's Kevin Durant. Like, it just is. Do I need to explain myself? I mean, I, you went on the whole Nicole Jokic thing, which is great. I think you're giving him a good amount of shine. But, like, at this point, like, if you watch Kevin Durant play basketball, you go, hmm, I don't enjoy this. Chances are you don't like basketball. Like, everything he does, every play, I go, ooh, ooh. Ooh, even like on his free throws, I'm like, ooh, that was a nice free throw. It just, everything about him is smooth, silky, and still surprising now to the point because he's coming off an injury and because I still think that we're not expecting him to like maybe maintain this level of play for this amount of minutes, but he's playing hard. 
it's necessary, and he's an unselfish player as well. On top of all of this, he's not somebody you look at and be like, dang, he doesn't let the game flow, or dang, he really just is choppy. Everything about him is smooth, from his shooting to his off-ball movement to his passing. It's just all so much fun to watch. It's so easy to watch as well. Easy Money Sniper, the Grim, sorry, the Slim Reaper, uh, that's definitely my most fun to watch. I definitely want to go to, to ugliest player to watch, though. Who, who's your ugliest player to watch? Okay, first, let me just give a little bit of love to KD, because he would be my second choice for this, and I also said he would be my second choice for MVP. He is just so disgusting. He's the most well-rounded scorer in basketball history, and that's something I've said for a while, but to see that that is still true, to see him be able to do it off the ball as a catch-and-shoot guy, to see him be able to facilitate at this high level where dude is throwing nasty bounce passes and is making great reads out of the pick-and-roll. And also, one of the things I just love about KD... I'm a fiend for a beautiful mid-range jump shooter, and KD is obviously the best that we have in basketball at that, and it's just so easy. He just glides into his spots, pulls up. It's basketball perfection, and I absolutely love watching him as well. Ugliest basketball player to watch. This has nothing to do with this man's physical appearance. This is about aesthetically the style he plays. It's easily Andre Drummond to me. He has sucked to watch for this entire <laughs> I'm, Okay, year. I thought you were going to say Russell Westbrook, and I thought you were just going to be like, your favorite player, no. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> no. What we've seen out of Drummond is, it's unfortunate because the Cavs are fun in some other ways. When Garland and Sexton are both out there, those dudes are just really exciting to watch. But Drummond so often just turns this offense into, hey, I'm going to be a black hole down in the post, and I'm just going to do some terrible stuff. He's averaging the second most post-ups in basketball, and he's only 39th percentile out of them, so he's demanding an insane volume, and he's not efficient out of them. He's averaging 3.8 turnovers a game to three assists. He's shooting 48% from the field, which is just way too low, considering the kind of shots that he's supposed to be getting. He hasn't made a shot outside the paint, and he's still shooting 48% from the field. And it's just, the dude has no post moves but he demands to post up seven times a game and take a shot out of it. So, like, he has no handle. He just flails his arms sometimes, and he misses shots by six feet from within six feet. It's just not fun basketball to watch. I wish that he didn't think he was an offensive star because his defensive value at times can be really impactful. His hands, when he's locked in, he can really be a positive on that end. But too The Cavs have one of the best defenses in the league. Mm -hmm. And I think that he is definitely a part of that, a significant part of that. But on the offensive end, it just sucks to watch, and I don't like it at all. And he doesn't roll to the rim. The athletic, dynamic, dunk contest participant that we saw a few years ago is so far gone. There's no verticality to his game. He doesn't empower the guys around him. His playmaking, he doesn't find shooters. He just turns the ball over. It's just... I don't like watching Andre Drummond. It frustrates me. Sounds like me when I play pickup. Uh, <laughs> speaking of somebody that looks like me when I play basketball, my ugliest player to watch, Frank Kaminsky. I might be going a little <laughs> Suns heavy here, but my God, every time that man checks into a game, I physically cringe. He, he can't defend. His saving grace is that he can hit a three from time to time, but it's so rare. I've seen him miss layups, airball layups, get absolutely dominated in the post, not know what he's doing passing the ball, not being able to set picks. It's just somebody that I've had to watch too much Frank Kaminsky, Carson. Just too much. It's it's bad. It's yeah, just bad. He, he's terrible, and this is particularly topical because of how relevant he ended up being in last night's game when Aiton fouled out, and man, it was just so hard to watch him try to guard Jokic. Well, without Saric, he's their backup center, man, and that's yeah. tough. No, it's it is tough. it is tough. Believe me, every I am with you. Every time that he is in the game, I am certainly displeased for Suns fans. And it was hilarious to me that, just to bring it back to last night's game again, that he was doubled on the last possession of overtime by P.J. Dozier. Like, why? He, he looked so To freak confused. him out. Yeah, he hasn't I seen guess. a double team since high school. He looked pretty freaked out by just having one guy on him and having the ball in his hands. So, I don't know. But, yeah, Kaminsky is not good. And the fact that this man was once the ninth overall pick in the draft is something else. Frank the Tank, baby. Frank the Tank. Well, let's move from tanks to roller coasters. Most up and down team this season for you, Carson. This is an easy one for me. I think it without a doubt has to be the Golden State Warriors because... So many times they have looked like two different teams within a game or within a stretch of a couple games. They have two incredible comeback wins versus the LA teams on their resume. And they also have obviously some atrocious losses from the beginning of the season. They're 24th in offensive rating, not very good. 18th in defensive rating, not very good. But sometimes they feel really good. When everything is gelling, 
when the second unit is playing well, when Pascal is asserting himself, when guys are knocking down shots, when Oubre doesn't look terrible for a stretch, when Steph is just unconscious, the peak of this team feels like it's really high, but the floor is so, so low, and they are certainly better than what we saw over the first few games, of course, because missing Draymond was so damaging to what this team's capable of doing offensively. He's so important as a pick-and-roll role man, as just a facilitator in the half court. He's everything to this team along with Steph, but... Even when those two guys are out there, sometimes it's just people are able to throw so many bodies at Steph that they can take him out of the game a little bit because I think he demands more attention than any other player in basketball right now. And then if guys around him aren't knocking down shots, if they're making bad decisions, this team just falls apart. So they've had really high highs. They've had really low lows. And I'm still kind of trying to figure out how good they are because every game at different points, I feel like I have a different answer. And I think the final answer is just that they're okay, that they're probably going to be like the eighth seed. And that's that for this team. If they had clay, they would be something pretty special. I things, think, but things, would, things would be different with yeah. the second greatest shooter of all time. Who can yes. also defend. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Golden state, definitely up there for me. They're, they're definitely one of them. I think Brooklyn as well, because the roller coaster is just on two ends. You got your high on offense and your low on defense. It's just like the, some of the most spectacular, incredible ISO and, and offensive possessions on one end, and then you have DeAndre Jordan and Kyrie Irving guarding a pick and roll on the other. It's not fun. Uh, I also want to put Atlanta in there just because Trey Young has been really up and down this season and kind of where he goes, the team goes. And then, of course, it seems like I, I'm just using any excuse to talk about the Suns, but... The Suns are an extremely roller coaster team in the first and second half. If you've seen this team has come to a lot of leads, they have played absolutely incredibly. They've been shooting great from three. They go into half, they go into a break, they come out after that. They only shoot threes and they brick them. They go into crunch time, they turn the ball over. Chris Paul doesn't call a timeout with two seconds left after turning the ball over before. Like, there are just so many things about this team that don't make sense either in crunch time or after they have this huge lead. They had a huge lead against Detroit, they end up losing that game. They a huge lead against the Rockets. They won that game, but they almost blew it. Like, they have had really big leads against teams, and they've ended up blowing it. And that's, like, with players like Chris Paul that you don't expect to do that. So they've been a real roller coaster. They've obviously been the team that I've watched the most this season. So they're in my mind a lot. But even that that first Denver game uh, of the back-to-back, you know, the one that went to overtime the first time, like, they – that didn't go into overtime, sorry. Like they uh it did. I'm all over the place. The Suns are messing with my brain. That's how much of a roller coaster we're on. I'm getting the head rush, you know. I'm I'm getting off the roller coaster. I'm wobbly a little bit. My legs are shaking, but it's just a, and I mean, of course, DeAndre Ayton as well went from pump faking a wide open free throw earlier in the season to dunking on people. Like they are really just a lot of players are back and forth and as a team, they just fall into these ruts over and over and over again. I do have more faith in them than I do Golden State long-term to figure it out because I just have more faith in their players. But I, I just think that the crunch time fa- failures and the blowing of the leads, I don't know how many other teams have really had that this season. Yeah, the Suns are an interesting choice. The one that stood out to me out of the teams you listed off, though, is the Hawks because they have been a roller coaster this year, and a lot of that has gone with the production of Trey just because their offense is so dependent on him to produce too dependent they have too much talent and I think that they should be giving other guys more time with the ball in their hands now with Bogdanovich out right now with Gallinari out right now that's not as glaring but when all those guys are healthy then I think that all of those guys should be getting more attention and more time with the ball and I hope to see that going forward because I think that that raises the ceiling of this team for sure all right we got two more left uh we have the Mirage award and the cruise control award so which one would you like to start off with Carson Let's go with the Mirage. All right. I I could start it off for Mirage. I thought about a couple players for this. I I don't know if I'm being basic here, but Andrew Wiggins is like the human Mirage. It's like every time you're like, nah, he's totally terrible. He's bad. He's like, oh, you're shooting a little. Oh, you're shooting from three. Okay. Oh, you're being like a decent defender. Oh, you're you're being athletic. But every single time you got to see right through it. You got to be like, nope, nope, nope. He's Andrew Wiggins. It is a literal mirage as a basketball player. So that's who I went with. I I don't know if you agree as a Warriors fan. I actually disagree, and you can think that he's a mirage all you want. That's fine because the track record certainly supports you. I just think this is such a different basketball situation, and what we've seen as far as his commitment every single night to playing on both ends. His shot selection is consistently excellent, and 
yeah, maybe he still takes a couple mid-range pull-ups, but it's really only when Steph is not in the game and they need somebody who can create that offense and Wiggins steps up and do that, but he's excelled as a catch-and-shoot guy. I think his shot looks permanently improved. I just think it's a more fluid motion and it's been really reliable this season. And the defense is what stands out. It's consistently, he's locking guys up on the perimeter. He's been a really effective help side rim protector at times this season. He's averaging 1.6 blocks a game. And I just love what he's doing. I feel like he is truly a different NBA player right now. And yeah, he's had little stretches where he showed things like improved playmaking in Minnesota. And then he regressed and kind of fell off. But that's because he was always empowered to just put on the Wiggins circus every game. And that's not the case anymore. And he really seems okay with that. So after his first couple games, which were not great, he's been excellent. And I am optimistic that that sustains. Can I guess yours? Can I guess your pick? Go ahead. Julius Randle. It's an excellent guess. He is one of two contenders that I had. I would say him, but if the Mirage is the guy who's been performing well and it's a fake and we know that it's going to come back to earth, I feel like he's already shown that he's a Mirage because his production has dropped off so precipitously from the ridiculous start to the season, which was really predicated on just ridiculous jump shooting that he has never shown in his entire career. And now that has all come back down to earth. He's shooting like 34% from deep, which is still better than his normal, but not what it normally, I mean, but it's not exceptional. And I just think he contributes very little to New York's winning. To me, the fact that New York is a respectable basketball team right now is all because of what they're doing on the defensive end. Offensively, Randall is just a black hole, and I don't think he really creates for others in a way that his assist numbers would tell you. He kind of just rams into the bucket, and I just don't like watching him play. So he's a very good guess. I'm going to actually go with Jeremy Grant. I know it's a little contradictory because he was my most improved guy. I couldn't really think of a great choice for this award maybe Randall would have been better because I am lower on him than I am on Grant I just think this level of offensive production is not quite going to be sustained by Jeremy Grant maybe this efficiency isn't sustained either I've just never seen somebody score 24 points per game in the way that he does he just doesn't have the traits of a score at that high a level even though he is improved undeniably and even though he does a volume of opportunities 24 points per game is a really high number for a guy who doesn't have that kind of natural fluidity or that explosion or that incredible shot making off the dribble. And I'm just a little skeptical still, but I do think he'll have a good season. I think he'll score like 20 a game. I just don't think this level is quite going to be sustained. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, as we kind of cruise past the hour mark of what's been an incredible ISO podcast, let's end it with the cruise control award. Now, to me, I think it's hilarious that one of my MVP candidates is actually my award winner for the Cruise Control Award, and that's LeBron James. I think Chris Paul is up there as well. You can really look at a lot of the old guys in the league, and and they're taking their time. They're, they're ramping up, but LeBron, you can just tell he's having fun out there. He's not pushing the pedal to the metal, and, and when he is, you can tell like the, sh- the gear has shifted. It, it's changed. He's having fun out there. He's making mid-jump shot bets with, Den- bets with Dennis Schroeder. Like, He's just having fun. He's on cruise control. No traffic ahead of him. Enjoying the view to the finals and just seeing what's going on on the way. I agree completely. It's LeBron, and he's balling out on the best team in basketball. But when you just watch him on a night-to-night basis, it's he's playing a career low in minutes, which I think makes sense given the context. He's taking a career-high amount of threes, and I think that that just shows you that he's not really putting as much of a physical tax on his body, not trying to get downhill as much, not bruising in the paint or out of the post nearly as much as he was last year. But although he is more content to settle for just being a jump shooter in a lot of these games, he's the best jump shooter that he's ever been. He's knocking down 39% of his threes. And it's just incredible to me how much he has improved in that respect where the dude is an assassin off the dribble. His step back is now a really established closing move. And it's fun to watch even when he doesn't really care that much. Sometimes I wish he would tune it up even in the last couple minutes of a game because sometimes it seems like even then he doesn't care. Like against the Warriors, he was kind of content to say, okay, we'll just let this comeback happen. And I don't know. I mean, obviously the Warriors played great, but I wish that LeBron had sort of tried to assert himself a little bit more, but he knows where his priorities are. They are, as you said, towards the postseason, towards the finals. And when he gets there, I have no questions about what he will do because he's just shown it time and time again. You can't, you, you can't question it to this point. It's ridiculous because I feel like we're stuck in it like oh oh right every single year it's I'm not gonna battle against LeBron until he shows me how many like like how many players have we done that year after year after year it's got to be Tom Brady LeBron and who else in our lifetime nobody nobody 
And, and it's like, e- even with Jordan, like, I feel like there were, like, he walked away. Like, you weren't, you weren't asking these type of questions going into the year, you know? Although, of course, I don't know. I, I wasn't around. But it just feels like with him, there's, like, the certain air around him where people were, like, expecting him to fall off. But now that he hasn't, I feel like nobody expects him to. And if he's able to develop his jump shot and really make that a lethal weapon, I don't see how he's not going to pass Kareem all time. Uh, like, cause that, that just opens up so much for him. And we know he's going to want to play a couple more years and we're going to want to see what LeBron does. Hopefully a lot of these awards come true because as you guys know, Carson and I are never wrong about literally anything ever. And don't forget that. If you want to hear all of our correct takes, go ahead and follow Carson on Twitter at Carsobi. You got to follow him now, either for the sheer joy that will be jumping through the table or the pure misery that will be the loss today. I hate to put that in your brain, Carson, but you got to follow him at Carsobi. And I'll admit it, maybe outside of football, he's a pretty good follow as well. You can follow me at Eric Ruby underscore follow the show at the 1v1 show. Of course, we'll be back next week with more ISO podcast action. But until then, enjoy basketball and don't forget it. We'll see you guys next week.